Well, it's sure good to have you here. You didn't have to register or anything. We're making progress. We're going the right direction here. Yeah, praise the Lord. Next thing you know, we'll pack this place out. Uh, opportunities open up more and more for the gospel, for friendships, for inviting people to church. And I even think people who don't know to come to church are going to be op- more open to coming. So our Easter invitation is going to be really significant. So I'm looking forward to those days. And today, I get to... Uh, introduce a brand new series of messages. We went through ones called Unstoppable, and now we're going to go through one called, um, uh, um, excuse me, (laughs) Unshakable. Thank you. They put it on the screen, right? Yeah, Unshakable. Um, Three sermons, it gets to you, and you get old like me. So anyway, Unshakable. Unshakable is about faith. And actually what we're going to be doing is in the next three months, okay, March and then April and then May, we're doing faith in March. April's all about hope, of course, the resurrection of Christ, right? And then May is about love. And I'm going to explain to you why we're picking those three. Um, I knew that because of the word of the year this year is the word church. Sooner or later in this series, I have to tell you about this experience I had where I radically changed how I viewed church from that point on. And actually, this happened to me before we even started this church, so it's over 40 years ago. You see, I read this book called The Measure of a Church by Dr. Gene Getz, a scholar. He eventually became my pastor when I lived down in Dallas, and I heard him preach a sermon, too, with the same title. Oh, my goodness, it was amazing. I mean, for a guy that's trying to be in church ministry, his life is his life ministry, and to, to try and figure out what church is supposed to be and what it looks like, the, the, this, this sermon and that, that book literally radically changed my view and my thinking about church, and maybe it will yours, too. Let me try and summarize what it said. He, he opened his Bible. Okay, here's what happened. He started out, just opened his Bible. He went to one of the letters in the New Testament called Colossians. And if you want to look it up, we'll put it on the screen for you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 says, let me just show you something. At the beginning of the letter to Colossae, the church in Colossae, and I want to show you a pattern there that appears in other letters as well. Look at it. Ready? Colossians 1, starting with verse 3. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He says, notice that. He says, we thank God because we've heard about your faith and of the love that you have for all the saints. And we've heard about your love that you have for all the saints because of the hope. Notice that third word, hope, laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Now he says it sounds kind of tame, doesn't it? Is this just like the formal way that he always greeted people? No. He says in almost all the letters, he starts with the same thing, but he says it in a different way with each letter. But he always includes these three qualities he seems to be looking for in churches. Faith, hope, and love. And there seems to be an evaluation going on in the apostle's mind. We thank God for everybody's talking about what great faith you have. And we see that you have a hope, and we see you have love. But he says he doesn't do that with every letter. So he shows us this in in, in Colossians there. He shows us Ephesians. He shows us Galatians. And it's like the same pattern. 
pattern. I can't believe this is like a typical pattern. He's evaluating the churches on this. Then he turns us to the book of, of, of Thessalonians. He says, look what he does in Thessalonians. And if you remember, Thessalonians has all this teaching in it about the end times, right? The second coming of Christ. So he says, oh, I thank God I hear about your great faith and the love you have for one another, but doesn't say a word about hope. Why? Because he's going to say, well, you kind of messed up there. Let me teach you some things about hope because you've gotten perverted by these false teachers that came in. And when he gets to Corinth, Corinthians, as we all know, had more problems than any of the churches. What does he say at the beginning of Corinthians? He says, I thank God for his grace. Never mentions faith, hope, or love because in other words, they're a mess in all three. And that's why the love chapter's there in 1 Corinthians 13, all this stuff. He's trying to help them get solid. In other words, the Apostle Paul doesn't care if you're an urban church, a suburban church, a rich church, a poor church, a white church, a black church. He doesn't care if you have great evangelism or not so great evangelism. He doesn't care if you have a great youth ministry or a poor youth ministry. He doesn't care if you have a great children's ministry or not such a great one. Your music is like a, never even evaluates any of those things. That's why I'm saying it radically changed. What he was concerned about most, does this church seem to have faith that's vital and alive and growing? Does this church seem to have hope? They really are not pessimistic. They're not down. They believe in the hope in Christ. And do they seem to love one another? Those were the things that were most important to God. Those are the things that God uses to, is a template, a measuring stick to measure churches. That's important. Isn't that important? So today, we're starting this series about faith. We're going to do faith all month long. I'm the first sermon in it. I get to talk with you about faith. And what, what, what I want to do is ask ourselves, how we're doing? How do you think FAC is doing? I mean, FAC is basically just a group of people like you. How's your faith? Faith growing? Faith stronger? Is it being built up? Is your small group helping you? Are you involved in a men's or women's ministry? Are you involved, where's your faith? Is it weaker or stronger? Is it growing or not? That's the typical measurement we need to use. How's your faith? How's our church's faith? And I'd like to pray about that before we take a close look. Bow with me in prayer. Lord, we come before you today, and we recognize, whew, Lord, sometimes we really struggle to have faith. Maybe it's the coronavirus. Maybe it's a trial in our life. Maybe it's problems in our marriage. Maybe it's a lack of finances. Maybe it's things seem so pessimistic, and where's our faith? Lord, please, please teach us now. Help us understand what the Word of God says. And when the Apostle Paul starts evaluating churches by faith, what's he looking for? Do we have it? How do we get it? Where does it go? How do we go from here? I pray that for everybody listening online and everybody here in this room with me, that we'd be able to hear what your Word says about faith and grow in it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's start out by um, asking a, a question. How do you find faith? That's the whole title of this sermon, Finding Faith. Well, how do you get it? Faith is kind of an elusive thing, isn't it? You know, like today, maybe this sermon will really touch your heart and you take a big step of faith and you're trusting God in a way you never did before. Okay, but tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and go, eh, I'm not feeling it as much, you know, like, 
or you're feeling it even more, but it, it's elusive, it comes and goes. How do you get it? How do you find it? How do you grow it? Those are the kind of questions we want to talk about today. These, where does faith come from? H- how do you know if you have it or not? How do you make it stronger? Uh, why do you need it so bad? I'm reminded of this scholar I was reading just the other day. His name is Dr. John Oswald. Uh, He's actually getting pretty old now, but was a professor for years down in Lexington, Kentucky at a seminary there. And in a book I was reading by him recently, he says, you know, the average Christian in America lives far below their faith potential, far below all the privileges God promises throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. All these privileges could be ours. This peace that passes understanding, this strength beyond your own means, and all these different things. He quotes different promises and says, but we can't seem to get to these privileges because we lack faith. Wow, then how can I get it? How can I go there? In fact, if we were to define it or try and lay it all out, what is faith and what's it for? I tried to put it in what's called the big idea of the sermon back when we used to hand out bulletins. I hope we get back there again. You'd have an outline there. But I'll put it on the screen for you. The big idea of the message is this. Faith grows our relationship with God. Now, you need to remember that. That's like the theme of the whole message. Faith is how we grow in our relationship with God. Without it, you can't really grow. Now, to take that apart or to digest that for you, I want to ask three questions, and they're simple questions. This is a simple sermon. Why, what, and how of faith? Why is faith so important is the one we want to start with. Why is faith so important? Have you ever wondered why? I remember wondering this at times. I was already in the ministry for a few years when this came to me. I'm thinking, why is faith the key that unlocks the door? Think about that. Have you ever thought, like, why is it what you believe, what you trust in, the key determines whether you go to heaven or you go to hell? It's all based on what I believe, all based on what I'm I'm, I'm putting my faith in. That determines my eternal destiny. Whoa, doesn't that seem bizarre? Doesn't that seem crazy a little bit? Like, my faith, my belief, is what determines everything in the future for me? My eternal destiny? Just what I believe? Have you ever asked that question? If you ever have, here's the answer. Let me try and summarize it. We'll explain it as we go on further. The basis of it is this. The reason faith is the key that unlocks the door to heaven, the key that unlocks a relationship with God, is because faith, please listen to this, faith or trust or belief is the basis of every relationship you'll ever have. Faith, trust is the basis of every relationship. For example, let's say I want to get to know Kip. Kip wants to get to know me. We want to deepen our relationship. How are we going to do that? Well, to the degree Kip will share with me about his life, share with me about what's going on in his life, share with me about his struggles in his life, and to the degree I will share with him my life and share with him my struggles, to that degree we will have a relationship. All based on what? How much he'll trust me, how much I'll trust him. Anybody here who's ever gotten in a relationship with someone and then you start questioning the trust, you realize it all falls apart, right? You can't trust him can't trust them, if they can't trust you, it's over. Like a broken marriage. When I try and get a marriage that's been broken and the trust has been broken back together again, that's number one. We've got to start number one, go back to square one. What's the basis of the relationship? Trust. 
And all God is doing is asking us to trust him. Let me do a little Bible study with you. In fact, I won't even put it on the screen because it would take too much time, but I'll just quote to you some different passages. If you did a study in the Old Testament and, and you were looking for one word, trust, you would find throughout the whole Old Testament that word just keeps getting repeated, repeated, repeated. God keeps telling the children of God, keeps calling to, to the children of God, trust me, trust me, trust me. In fact, let me read to you a few passages in that. In the Old Testament, we read oh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my favorite ones in the Proverbs. Trust in the Lord. Huh, what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. It's telling us that the basis of having a relationship with God is that you trust him. You believe in his goodness. You believe in his power. You believe in his love for you, right? Or, again, another appeal of the Old Testament. Psalm 37, 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Be faithful. God will care for you. Or Isaiah uh, 26, verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for God will lead you to him. Or uh, uh, Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Now, that's just a sampling. There are so many passages in the Old Testament, whether it be Abraham, or it be Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph, or it be Moses, or it be the children of Israel, or it be any of the prophets. It's like he's calling us over and over again. In fact, here's an interesting thing. You know, like I've preached sermons for like 40 years, and after a while, especially Old Testament sermons, you start to realize, hey, they're all the same. What I mean is this. What did, call, what did God call Adam and Eve to do? Trust him. Don't pick from that tree. Trust me. Cain and Abel. Cain didn't trust. Abel did, right? Or Abraham, trust me. You leave this place and go to where I'm, I'm going to call you to go. You go in faith. Trust me. Joseph. Joseph's brothers tried to put him out, tried to get him, get rid of him. And God said, trust me, I will care for you. It ends up becoming a leader in Egypt, right? David beat Goliath because he trusted God. Elijah beat the prophets of Baal because he trusted God. Daniel overcame the lion's den. Every story you start to realize, it's about the same thing. God calling his people, trust me, trust me. Every story, every verse, it kind of goes back to the same thing. God wants a relationship with us so bad, but he knows you can't build a relationship with us unless we trust him. And over and over again, God proves his faithfulness. God proves his trustworthiness. And all he's asking you to do is trust me. Then you get to the New Testament, right? And Jesus comes on the scene. And what does Jesus say? Look, here's one thing. Jesus, I'll do again, quote some verses for you. He says in, in, in Matthew 17, 20, I'll give you the context. Uh, the disciples were unable to cast out a demon out of this person. They brought him to Jesus, and Jesus did it just like that. And they said, well, how come we couldn't do it? And you know what, Jesus, what did Jesus say? Oh, ye little faith. If you had faith like a grain of mustard, you could say to this mountain, be moved from here to there, and it would be moved. So Jesus identifies the problem they're having with helping people is their lack of trust or faith in God. So he says, uh, you've got to trust God. That's what's wrong if you had faith like a mustard seed. Or in, in Matthew 9, verse 29, he says, according to your faith, be it done unto you. He says that to two men who come to him who are blind, and they're saying, Lord, we know you can heal us. He says, well, according to your faith, be it done unto you. Again, emphasizing faith. 
Or in uh, Matthew 8, 26, remember that story when the, children, the uh, disciples were in a boat on Lake Gennesaret, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and a, a windstorm came, and they're rocking back and forth. Jesus is sleeping up in the bow, and they finally wake him up, and they go, Jesus, Jesus. He goes, what are you so afraid of? Oh, ye of little faith. Again, he rebukes them for their lack of faith. You need to trust the Lord. Or Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. When Jesus saw the faith of the people who brought the paralytic to him, he healed him, it says, because of the faith. So what's the point I've tried to make? The whole point of all those Old Testament quotes about trust, Jesus appealed to us to have faith, faith like even as small as a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. What is the whole point? The whole point is this. Faith, trust, belief in God is the basis of a relationship with God. You can't have one with him without that. And no matter what the trial might be or what the difficulty might be, do you understand? The whole reason for faith is your relationship with him. Not so much whether you get the miracle or not. Not so much whether you get the healing or not. Because all those things just come into your life to do what? Build your relationship with him. Because trust is the basis of all relationships. Now let me try and bring this, bring this home for you and make it real. I was reading a book. Yeah, here it is. By a guy named Jimmy Dodd. Jimmy Dodd has a ministry called Pastor Serve. And it, it helps different pastors go through different things in their life. And it's, his book is called S Survive or Thrive. And in this book, he, he says something, a story about his conference with a different, pa with a pastor. And um, I couldn't tell it as good as he did. So I thought, I'll just read it to you. Listen to what happens. Recently, a pastor contacted Pastor Serve because he was looking for a safe, confidential, gospel-centered place to confess a particular sin. He says, this happens a lot in my ministry. He disclosed that he had been struggling mightily with a debilitating sin of lust. In fact, he told me just last night, I was in a restaurant with my wife and I was overcome with lust for another woman at a nearby table. Through his tears, he confessed to me that he was overwhelmed with guilt, shame, and disappointment that he would commit such an atrocious sin in the very presence of his wife. He saw precious little hope for himself. Precious little hope for his sinful behavior. How do I stop? I encouraged him to confess that particular sin of lust to the Lord. So we, we prayed together, and he sincerely cried out to Jesus, confessing the sin of lust, then asking the Lord's forgiveness. At the conclusion of the prayer, I asked him a simple question. What's the sin behind that sin? In other words, what was the sin that led you and caused you to lust? After some thought, the pastor told me that he must have a shallow view of happiness because he believed, albeit for a moment, that this stranger could genuinely make him happy. I encouraged him to confess this sin to the Lord as well. He again prayed, confessing his sinfully skewed perspective of happiness. When he finished the prayer, I again asked him the same question. What is the sin behind that sin? After lengthy reflection, he replied, well, I guess I, I, I guess I thought that she could make me happy because 
I don't believe that Jesus alone can make me happy. Okay. Now we're getting closer to the real root of the sin in your life. Following a time of confession, we returned to the question once again. What sin lies behind not believing that Jesus can meet your needs? His answer is commonly the root of most every sin because I don't believe in the sufficiency of God's grace in my life. In conclusion, in conversations after conversations like these, I'm astonished how often pastors conclude that they struggle with a lack of belief, a lack of faith in the sufficiency of Christ. And the same is true of me, and the same is true of you. Here's a guy that works with pastors over and over again, and he goes, you know the problem? You whittle it down, you whittle it down, you whittle it down, and you simply don't believe in the sufficiency of God for your need, the sufficiency of Christ for your problem. Whether it be a sexual thing, whether it be a material thing for money, whether it be a thing in your marriage, whether it be your own children, whether it be your own health, understand faith is all about a relationship with God and your relationship gets broken when you stop believing it's like it's like that Oswald the 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 the, the, the guy I quoted from earlier that that, that the biblical scholar is saying you know we could reach these things we could have these privileges in our life but we can't get them because we don't, just don't believe it for ourselves. wow is that good or what Secondly, what is faith like? Okay, we answered some of the question, why is faith so important? Well then, what is faith really like? Um, how do I know if I have enough of it? Um, how do I get more? How does it actually work? As I struggled with this, I thought there's only one passage that really answers those questions. It's in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. The great theological book of Romans has tremendous insights for us. In chapter 10, he explains faith. Notice how often he repeats the word belief or faith or trust. Starting with verse 8 of chapter 10, we read these words. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. Key word there, heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, key word, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, boy, there's that word again, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, keeps repeating that word, belief or faith, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing the riches of all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what, what, has, what he has heard from us? Now the key verse, verse 17. So, catch this. So, or in conclusion, faith comes from hearing. 
and hearing through the word of Christ. Notice the key words, heart, confess, call, preach, word. Those, those words and so many others, I'd love to take the time to expound on them with you, but we don't have that much time. So I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll use an analogy. So let's have, I need a ladder to do it. So bring me that step ladder right now. Someone's going to bring that out for me. And that ladder I can use to try and explain to you what I believe the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us in this passage. I used this once back in 2018. It worked really well. Let's say, I'll put a sign on each one of these. Let's say this side, the stabilizing side of the ladder, on which the steps of the ladder lean, this side is what we call, what he really calls in this passage, the Word. It's the Word of God. You just read it. He says, you've all heard it. So I, we got the Word. We all, we all have it in our hands. We all have it on our phones. We all have the word. The only question is, what will we do? When your will decides to depend upon God's word, when those two meet, that's faith. Anything else is just superstition or wishful thinking or maybe just being optimistic. That's not faith. No, faith, according to biblical standards, is when you decide by act of your will, I'm going to take a step and lean on what God said, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and if I put my will, my faith in his word, I will be saved. We just read that. If I'll confess with my mouth as an act of my will that Jesus is my Savior, I will be saved because of his word. You see, there's a big difference between being an optimist and being a believer. A believer, by an act of his will, is deciding to believe God's word. An optimist is just saying, well, it's going to get better. I hope they are. It's kind of like wishful thinking. Because personally, I'm not an optimist. But I am a believer. I'll believe in God's word. I'll put my will in his it's very much an act of your will. It's a decisive moment. That's why pastors preach at the end of their sermon. You need to make a decision today, right? A decision of your will. You might go to church. You might read your Bible. You might have a whole family of Christians. That means nothing. It means nothing until you make your will obey God's word. That makes you a believer. Now, there's a lot more I could say about this, a lot more I'd love to say, but I only have time to make one major point. It's this. Faith, clearly in the Bible, because it's the basis of all relationships and the basis of our relationship with God is not a one-step thing. You can't say, well, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Ten years old, I went forward as me. Great start, fantastic, act of your will, tremendous. But that's like saying, oh, I said the wedding vows in front of the pastor to my wife. That's it. We're married. I don't have to do anything else. Just, oh, you got to do a lot more than that, right? It's a relationship, folks. All faith is is a stepping stool. Faith is another step to trusting him. And God wants you to keep climbing the ladder. God keeps wanting you to get closer and closer to him. That's why you exist. That's why you're here. He made you for him. Every single person in this room right now, I 100% guarantee you, God is challenging you to take the next step. I don't know what that means. You do. What's bothering you? What are you afraid of? 
What are you angry about? Those are the kind of questions to get to your next step. Because you're going to have to take your will and decide, you know what, I'm going to stop worrying so much. You know what, I'm going to be not angry anymore. I'm going to believe like Jesus died for my sins, they died for that sin and that person that they did against me. I'm going to try. It's, it's, see what I mean? It's taking your will and putting it in God's word. I'm very grieved and very sad. Because recently I've heard lots of stories of Christian leaders falling into sin, immorality, arrogance, pride. Haven't you heard some of these stories? I mean, they're rampant all over the place. My list is a long list now of different guys. What, what happened? Well, they took a step. And then somewhere, a long time before they got outed in their sin. They stopped stepping. And when you stop stepping, it's just a matter of time and you're gonna fall over. You're gonna fall into sin. It's gonna be all over the place. Everyone's gonna know. Because you gotta keep stepping and following the Lord step by step. That faith God in God as your eternal Savior through Jesus Christ is just a beginning point to grow because faith is the only requirement you have to have a relationship with him. And you need to grow in that faith. And then people call their pastor, like me, hey, hey, here I am. And I help pick them up. And our other pastors, we pick them up. And we say, you know what you got to do? Oh, what do I got to do? Well, somewhere along the line, this became disconnected. And you're going to have to, as an act of your will, just like the story we read from Jimmy Dodd, confess your sin. Come back and decide, as an act of your will, you're going to put your faith in God. Whether it started with your, your own doubts in your soul, your disbelief about God, your unwillingness to trust him in your marriage, your unwillingness to trust him for your money, or someone cheated you, or so you're angry, or whatever it be. It really, in a sense, doesn't matter. The worst thing that could have happened to you happened way before the falling. Your relationship with God became disconnected. And when I hear story after story of Christian leaders, it just grieves me so. It's like, oh, no. Another guy stopped walking with God. That's why it's called a walk of faith. Take steps. So don't be deceived. Just you, you take one step and you're done. No. <laughs> no, no, no. The one step is the beginning step because what I'm trying to help you get a hold of is faith is because you need a relationship with God. That's why he's going to bring you to heaven when you die, to keep that relationship and to make it complete in heaven. Okay. What's the next step in your faith? Well, I don't know what your next step is. I can only tell you what mine is. I'll have to take a next step. But what, what's our next step as a church, collectively? What's the next step? Well, we're, we have to believe God. We're going to have to trust Him for the next senior pastor of this church because I've only got a few more months and then I'm, I'm done. I'm, go I'm gone. 
I mean, I might still be coming here, but I won't be the leader anymore. God's going to raise up a new one. Do you doubt that? As an act of your will, will you trust God? Will you be pessimistic? Will you be a doubter? Will you be a skeptic? I sure hope not. That would mean we have weak faith, wouldn't it? That would mean we have skepticism and doubt. That would mean we don't trust God and his word. When he says, he's already picked someone, he's already got them ready. This is the sovereign God we are in charge, that's in charge of this church. So as a church, every one of us here has to believe God, myself included, for the next guy. Also, we have to believe God personally. A lot of things are tied together sometimes because we're doubting him in our own life or we're skeptical in our own life or we're hurt by God and feel like he didn't answer our prayer. We won't believe him for anybody else either. I'm challenging you today. Like I said, everyone here has a next step. Everyone, because it's alive. It's a relationship that's alive. It's real. It's with God Almighty. And just as Jesus would come, and I wonder if he was here right now, oh, oh, come on, you of little faith. You live in America. Oh, you of little faith. Look at all I've given you. Oh, you of little faith. Seems like if anybody should have great faith, it should be us. Look at all God's done. In America, in this church even, it's amazing. Trust him. Now, lastly, thirdly, how does faith work? Okay, if we've understood a little bit why we need it and what it's like, how does it work? Like, how does it work when you're in the grips of addiction? How does it work when you have a broken marriage and you see, boy, we got some big problems? How does it work when you prayed and prayed and prayed and God didn't answer the way you thought? Well, there's a passage of scripture we got to look at. It's Hebrews chapter 11. So turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11. It's called the faith chapter. And if we had time, I'd take apart the whole chapter for you because there's so much there about faith. And here's what the author does. He goes back through history and shows all these different people. I mean, he goes back to Adam and Eve in the beginning and Cain and Abel and all this stuff. It shows faith, 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 faith. And shows all the way up to the New Testament time. All these stories gives references to all these different people of faith. His point is to say, here's what needs to happen. You can see it over and over again, repeated thousands of years and under thousands of people's lives. When they took a step of faith and trusted God is when they saw miracles happen, saw things take place and saw God work in mighty ways. Every single story says it's about taking a step of faith. And in one verse... He says, let me summarize. Let me make a principle for you. It's Hebrews 11, verse 6. So let's look at that principle. Ready? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 reads like this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Boy, look at that. Look at that. The key words. Notice the first key word, the word impossible. Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Well, why is it impossible to have a relationship with anybody without faith or trusting them? You can't. He's saying that's why it's impossible. You can't have a relationship with God without trusting him. You can't have a relationship with anybody. No one can with you without there being the foundation of trust. He's saying that's what it's all about. Faith is based, I mean, faith is the basis on which we know God and we, we, we relate to God. 
it's not the same, like I said, as being like an optimist. You just hope. And then he goes on to say, so what do you, it's impossible, so I'll have to believe something. Well, what do I have to believe? You believe he exists. Now, this is, sounds elementary, doesn't it? And it is in a lot of ways because, but it, what's so weird is like in our country nowadays, in our world, in, 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 in the, the weird things happening in our culture, somehow we're being asked to believe that we self-exist. We have created ourselves. We invented who we are, so much so you can even identify one way or another according to what you invent yourself, right? We're somehow not believing he's the creator. He's the initiator. Nothing in this world exists. And the whole reason God made human beings in his image is to have a relationship with them. Different than he has with the animals. Different than he has with the trees. Different than he has with the rivers and the valleys and, and every bush and every grass particle. He couldn't have a relationship. So he created human beings to have this relationship with us. We exist for him. That's why we're here. So he says it's impossible to have a relationship with him without faith. And you first have to start, you didn't make yourself. Nobody here made your eyes blue or brown. Nobody here made your hair straight or curly. Nobody here made yourself this tall or this tall. I mean, there's so many things about you. You just are. I'm with one of my African-American pastor friends, Cedric Brown, and he was telling me, he says, I tell my people, hey, God made Marty white. God made Cedric black. In 2021, in the United States, how can Marty be the best white man and I be the best black man? He says, that's the question, to serve God. I'm thinking, Cedric, that's genius. That's exactly right. Go back to the very beginning. We're, we exist for God. That's why we're here. No matter what color you are, you didn't choose it. How big you are, you didn't choose it. Whether you're skinny or fat, in a lot of ways, you didn't even choose that body type in a lot of ways. There's so many things, most of the things about you. He says, come to realize you're here for one thing. No matter who you are, what you look like, what you feel like, how healthy, how sick, you're here for one thing, relate to God. Do you understand how significant that is? That's why your prayers, even for the miracles, your prayers for God to work, your prayer are not as significant. That's why James says, count it all joy when you count of various trials because that's going to grow what your relationship that's what it's all about it's not getting answers you want for your prayers that's side issue that's that's very elementary the point is he exists and he rewards those who seek him it says did you catch that the last big word reward what's the biggest reward get more stuff you pray, you work, you get more stuff. That's, that's the reward of God? Well, yeah, but is that the big one? No. How about better stuff? No, I got better stuff than I used to have. I got a blue one, a green one, and a red one now. Like, better stuff. No. To get that miracle. To get that healing. No. What is the greatest reward you can get? Don't you get it? It's him. It's God. He's the greatest reward. It's a relationship with him. The whole book of Job is about that. Job's this rich guy, loses everything. And what he had to conclude is, you know what? If I lose everything, God's enough. That's the answer to the whole book. Is that your answer? That was a step of faith. It's a step of faith God's calling all of us to. All the stuff... All the miracles, all the healings, they're all just temporary worldly things. The whole purpose of your life, 
is you're here for God. He made you for himself. And the greatest reward you could have is himself. Wow. Isn't that true? Amen is right. Amen. The sooner you come to that, the better. So I thought I need to end. Let me end with this story. So we were on a vacation. Lori was reading this book by uh, Paula Reinhardt. And she got it marked up in one area. And she wanted to read this to me. I thought, oh, mark that. I'm going to read this to the congregation. Because this lady, Paula, tells a story about trust and her learning how to trust the Lord. I was trying to hit the ladder there. And here's what she says. Well, the best picture of what, I have, what I've learned it means to trust came through a rather unusual experience. I was praying with a woman addicted to cocaine. Oh, really? The circumstances were these. I came to work one day at the county drug and alcohol facility where I served a three-month internship. Almost immediately, the doctor in charge asked me to talk with a clearly distraught woman whose roommate had tried to commit suicide. The doctor said, well, see if you can get her to calm down a little bit. So I sat with this tiny wisp of a woman in a steel gray room and heard her story. Her, her name was Sybil. Sybil told me that because of her addiction, she had lost everything in life that mattered to her. Her three children, her marriage, her home. And now her friend had tried to take her own life. She became more upset as she talked. I quickly realized I had no words that could touch her. So I did something that, that is just not done in a county clinic. I asked her if I could pray for her. Oh, yes, would you please, she said. Her openness surprised me, so I started to pray. Something very simple. I had no memory. I really don't remember what the words are were. The woman before me, shaking and distraught, began to get very quiet. So peaceful, in fact, that I cocked one eye open to see if she was okay. I finished praying, and she was totally, totally at rest. We talked for a few minutes, and then honestly, I was caught so off guard by the change in this woman's demeanor, I asked her, well, what happened when I prayed for you? What experience did you have at that time when I was praying? Well, I've never forgotten oh, her response to me. Rather matter-of-factly, she said, I saw God on his throne, and he asked me to sit in his lap. Then he said, there now, Sybil, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Whenever I'm in search of this elusive thing called trust or faith, I return to my memory of this comforted woman. As calm as a small child at her father's knee, I realize God is offering me the same place on his lap. The same door is open to me and is open to you. It's the door of faith. We come to this service, and I bet you everyone in this room is at some kind of what one author calls a crisis of belief. It's that next step. 
It, I don't know what it is for you. But there's something you're mad about, hurt about, something you're afraid of or worried about. Something you need to trust God. By an act of your will, say, okay, Lord, I don't know. I'm going to start it with a prayer this morning, but I'm going to go back to this over and over again. I'm going to be like that letter. I'm going to take the next step in my walk with you because the whole reason I'm here is because I started walking with you and I'm not going to stop now. Oh, God, may God save everyone in this room. Everyone listen to me online from stopping your stepping. It's a very dangerous place to be and you're probably going to fall. But you need to take the next step. Because the whole reason he saved you is what? To be with you, have a relationship with you, and you need to keep walking in faith. That's why I preach. That's why we have small groups. That's why we read the Bible. That's why you get up in the morning and you do it. You're trying to keep walking with him. So I want to pray with you now about that next step. You're at a crisis of belief. Let me bow with you and pray. Maybe your crisis of belief is, is their first step to owning Jesus is your Savior and Lord. He promises you he'll bring you to heaven if you'll put your faith and trust in him. Do it. Trust him. Maybe it's a healing you're looking for, a miracle you need to see in your life. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's lust like the guy we read about. Greed, selfishness. I mean, the list is long of sins that stop us, sins that hold us back. Our ego, our pride, our selfishness, it all gets in the way. So probably the first place to start is, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'm sorry. It's hitting me. It's hitting me so clear. Oh, he have little faith. I'm not trusting you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm somehow not thinking you're sufficient to meet my need. Can you say that to him in your heart? Lord, that's me. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And Lord, I'm deciding right now. This is the, ne- this is the step. You ready for the step? I'm going to take the next step. Help me, Lord, in my unbelief. Help me, Lord, make this step. As an act of faith, the decision of my will, I'm saying, I'm going to trust you for, you fill in the blank. As a church, we're going to trust you for the future of this church, that you're going to do some wonderful things. Oh, the vision of this church is so much bigger than Marty and so much bigger than our present staff. You're going to go way beyond what we ever dreamed. Oh, Lord, I'm so thankful that you're the Lord, so I trust you with blank. Oh, dear God, you are our all-sufficient Lord. You are our creator, our sustainer. You're why we exist. And you, my Lord, you're our savior. And you're our sanctifier. You're constantly trying to help us be holy, which we never thought we could be. But you can make us holy step by step. Okay, yes, take a lot of steps. I'm a long way off. But you can do it. And my biggest reward is you. I'll get you. I'll be with you. That will change everything with my kids and my finances. That will change everything with my mentality and my peace and my meaning in life and everything. So, God, I pray for everyone listening right now. You'll help them take that next step. Of course, you can't take all the steps, but I'm going to take one to trust you today to be sufficient for every need I have. In Jesus' name, amen. Could you stand with me? It's time to end. And in light of everything I just said, I want you to recall to your mind 
the most popular memory verse in the whole Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. He wanted a relationship with them all. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, proved it by sacrificing himself on a cross. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him will have eternal life, be with him forever. The whole idea of belief is based on what? A love story. God's love story for you. God's love story for humanity. So much so, he'll prove it. He'll die for you. Oh my gosh. And all he says is, come on, trust me. Trust me. I got you. That's all he has. Wow. <laughs> it's so beautiful, isn't it? It's the gospel. God bless you. Don't forget it. Walk with God. Have a great week. See you later.